This podcast is made possible in part by patrons like you. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash binge movies. from the last video store in the universe it's the season six binge movies finale it is the season six finale of binge movies 122 films have been binged, they have been reviewed, they have been ranked. We've had various and sundry illustrious guests in 2022, many reoccurring characters. As we turn the page into 2023, we're going to begin an entirely brand new Binge Movies Challenge. If you're saying, what the heck is the Binge Movies Challenge? Some of the fine folks on Twitter and some of our fine patrons at patreon.com slash binge movies have been participating all year long in the Binge Movies Challenge. They've watched along with the show all 122 films. Some have even gone the extra mile. And as I speak, I'm collecting VHS cassettes straight off the shelves of Binge Movies, stickers, dirt, filth, germs, and all. We do not know where these tapes have been, but we know where they're going. They're going to those brave souls who have completed the Binge Movies Challenge. I'm collecting it. It's going to go out in the mail this very week, along with some new memberships, thanks to some brand new patrons over at patreon.com slash binge movies. Uh, starting in January, we're going to have a wonderful little restructure of all of our benefits over there. Now that I've got the hang of Patreon a little bit and have an understanding of uh, what I can do, real nerd stuff. If you like real thinking nerdy movie stuff and some fun, funny, fun stuff, we're doing that as I, as I record this, this very week, we're going to be having a holiday party, non-denominational, pick and choose your holiday or delete the holiday of your choice. I don't care. We're going to be doing a binge movies uh, challenge holiday party trivia game out of all 122 movies and all the associated episodes that I've done this year. Uh, two of our patrons, two of our elite patrons, one being Heather Sachs, the other being Chris Williams, will go up against each other in a couple rounds of trivia. The winner then will go on to face me in a final round of trivia, and I have yet to decide what that prize is going to be, but there will be a prize involved. I think I know what it is, but I also think Heather already has one, uh, and maybe Chris does too. So I want to make sure I get who, whoever the winner is, they're going to get something that they don't already have. Um, it may be junk, it may be trash, but it's trash they don't have. Um, so that's fun. We've done live streams with folks like Lindsay Washburn, where we've been uh, viciously attacked by copyright trolls, but we live stream and watch and provide some live commentary as a group, as a cult, if you will, uh, over some movies. So the last movie we did was Doom Asylum, right around spooky time. And we're still figuring out the kinks in that, but you will see a return of that. Speaking of Lindsay Washburn, I've got some plans in the works with her. I don't want to say anything because I don't know when it's going to come to fruition, but we're working behind the scenes on some stuff. Speaking of behind the scenes, I'm also working with, and I cannot talk about this, this certain podcaster 
who you all know and some of you love. We're going to have some exciting things coming up in 2023. Uh, something brand new. So that's pretty exciting. Um, uh, any other housekeeping, housekeeping, housekeeping? Oh, there's a brand new t-shirt design over at bingemovies.threadless.com. That's our merchandise store. You should find the link in the show notes below. We've got some legacy designs over there. We've got a last movie standing design, which is one of our all-time best sellers. Speaking of last movie standing, let's get to the results with like 85, 86% of the vote. Our winner of last movie standing is going to be hosting the trivia game for the season. And that's going to be fun. So if you ever wanted to hang out with the Lady Juan, join the Patreon. Patreon. That doesn't really work. Patreon? Why didn't I call it Patreon? Because of Pat, R.I.P. Anyway, uh, she wins. So that means being eliminated from cinematic history. It's Castaway. Castaway. And being added to the vault, our very last and very first entry. Of 2022, we only had one for the whole year. It is George A. Romero's cinema horror verte classic, Night of the Living Dead. I have an idea. I went over on Twitter because it still, like, kind of exists. Uh, but it's, it's real threadbare. Uh, over there it's getting weird uh out there let me just put it like that if you want to follow the show but you're like I, i'm not on twitter i don't want to be on twitter but i do have an insta an instagram we have a brand new instagram account at, at binge movies lives over there so uh give us a follow we'll likely follow you back if you don't want us to follow you back set your account to private and i won't request it You've got mail. So I put out a AMA. Let's talk about movies. Let's talk about any of the 122 films that we just watched together. Uh, let's talk about 2023 movies, movies that are going to be coming out, or Japanese, you know, professional wrestling death matches. Um, and I promised cheap plugs. And so I got some really good responses. I've read them over, but I haven't thought about them until this very minute. So um, the answers may be shitty, but they're guaranteed to be long-winded. So that's always a good thing. Um, <clears throat> Dan, binge Lord Dan, AKA currently Dan in the apocalypse who Dan had a genuinely, uh, very sweet and inspiring little story, uh, that he told about some things uh, that has been going on in his life in the last couple of years and, uh, what the countdown movie and tea reviews podcast means to him. Uh, I know we have a lot of crossover listeners there. The countdown has reached its 400th episode. And decided to change kind of its genre as a podcast. So interesting things. They're, they're not completely moving away from movies and TV. But they are moving away some. And uh, they had an outpouring. Uh, they have very loyal uh, listeners and supporters. And have had so for almost a decade. Um, and Dan was one of those people. And he had a wonderful, inspiring story. It was very touching. So Dan asked the following question. As a normie, that is subject to interpretation, Dan. Okay. As a normie, bad, boring movies with no entertainment value suck to watch. As a critic, how does that affect your viewing? Does looking at it through a historical comparative lens automatically increase the value of a film? 
Film overthinker? Sure. Film critic? To some. No, not automatically. It doesn't automatically increase the value. However, if you're consuming a normal amount of movies, whatever that normy amount is, meaning you're being ultra selective to your own personal taste and only watching those things that you pretty much know that you're going to like, which is probably the sane way to watch movies, then a, then a lot of movies are not really going to, since they don't meet your palate, they don't meet your personal taste, you're not going to find any value in them. When you watch a wide swath of movies, including movies that are not necessarily your bread and butter, you you develop, I think, if you're if you're watching them with the intent of media literacy, uh, you begin to see the code of the matrix, so to speak. You you really do begin to see kind of the machinations of of, of a movie now. Because of that, you cannot really go back to casual movie watching. I'm sure maybe you could after an extended period of time. But once you, once you watch several hundred movies in a year, specifically for the purpose of analyzing them uh, and, and kind of understanding them contextually, historically, for cross-comparison, you know, between, you know, ranking and things like that, um, you really, it gets really hard to watch it just purely from an entertainment perspective. So once you get beyond just pure, is this entertaining to me, then you begin to see value beyond just pure entertainment. Is that a process most people should undergo? No, there are better things to do with your life and time. He follows up by saying this, like, even if a film has very little redeeming qualities, are you able to frame it in a certain way that makes it more interesting than what's actually on screen? That's a very good question and a very great follow-up. I would say most of the time. Uh, and I know this because when I watch um, movies with people who don't think the way that I do, after the movie, I could casually talk for like an hour plus about like, oh, wow, you know, see what makes this really interesting is, and they're not interested. Their eyes just glaze over. You got mail. Can you name a few? This is from uh, The Real Pete, who is the main shebang of a three-part shebang over at Middle Class Film Class. Uh, can you name off a few of your favorite working directors, writers, and or actors? New school, old school, male, female, anyone who speaks to you. Um, this is a hard question for me because I've said this before many moons ago, back in the golden days of binge movies. Uh, halcyon days i don't really follow directors or or actors or writers for that matter uh i think that there's a good chance that i just got burned a lot by following the work of directors and writers and actors so i uh now i follow the movies and i don't necessarily follow um particular personalities um some folks that i could think of off the top of my head like greta gerwig like her work, I like some Spike Jones stuff. Uh, actors, the actors that speak to me, Angela Bassett, Alfred Woodard. I like Anthony Hopkins a lot. Uh, I like Pedro Pascal a lot. Coleman Domingo, Darren McGavin, uh, Brian Tyree Henry. I do like James Cameron quite a bit. When you, but the interesting thing about Cameron, I, I, this past weekend, as I record this, I had the chance to see True Lies and 35mm. Uh, which was really fun. I mean, you know, certain movies are just, 
they just play better. They're made for a big big screen. And certain directors are big screen directors, and Cameron's definitely one of those. And I tweeted this. But I think what's so sad about Avatar and why, why I never really accepted it, you know, I never really, like, I didn't hate it. I thought some of the 3D was very impressive and was some of the most uh, immersive 3D when Avatar originally came out. I have no excitement for the next Avatar, but I do have tickets and an instant reaction is coming. Um, but what made it so depressing is like he, I don't know that anybody did American action big American practical action better than James Cameron ever. And the idea that he just like absconded with film in his movie career and was like green screens all the way is really depressing to me. Um, because not that avatar would be completely possible, certainly at the scale, if it were mostly practical, but it's just, it's just a bummer because he was so good at it. Um, and all, but you know, the truth being told, like insurance rates would make, like he could make true lies today. He could make Terminator two today. Can't blow up buildings in the, in real life anymore. So those are some of my favorite. Um, I know I have more than that, but, um, uh, I do like, um, Florence Pugh. I like her quite a bit. Uh, I do like Chris Pine I like him. Uh, there's more, you know, it's just, I don't, it's really hard for me to think in those terms because I don't, when I see a trailer, I don't typically get excited about the person or the people in it, unless I think it's good casting or their casting serves the story. I get hooked by story more than anything, 9.9 .9 times out of 10. I am David Rosen, piecing it together, recorded many moons ago, a podcast about bullet training with him that I think may be my worst guest appearance to date. And he's locked it away into a vault. Uh, no copyright infringement intended vault that's separate from the vault uh, for binge movies, which is not intending to infringe on a copyright for another vault. And I'm not exactly sure uh, that he's ever going to release it. What movie this season do you hope gets a remake one day? And which do you hope never gets a remake? 122 films. It's hard to go off the top of your head. Well, uh, Super Mario Brothers is already getting a remake, and it already looks infinitely better than the one that we got. Sorry, folks. Um, I hope that almost none of these get remakes because I'm not in the remake business. I don't like them. Uh, I don't think they serve any purpose because what is the, what's the end game of a remake other than to make money? Creatively, what's, what, what is the end game, right? The goal of a remake should be, <clears throat> theoretically, to take a movie that kind of worked or should have worked and didn't and do it in a way that now it's going to work a lot better. It's going to, it's going to fully realize the potential of its, of its story propositions. That's not how they make remakes. They make remakes based on what was already successful and can we do it again? Here would be my little caveat. And I said this on the episode. I think you could do a Double Dragon remake. One, because the movie that exists, the 1994 movie, I think, it's got 8%. It's so bad. I covered that episode on our video game movies of the 90s with Matt F. Basler uh, earlier in the year. Terrible. But I think the premise of two people having to beat the shit out of a city, beat the shit out of an entire city of murderous thugs to try to get to an end destination 
could be like, especially if you did, like, I know it's kind of overdone now. That's, that's the other thing. Like the, the window for this might've passed because stylistically, I think you could have done it if it was a little stylistically, a little bit like drive with, but a little bit more of kind of a, a grindhousey feel to it, but not like intentionally tongue in cheek. I just mean a little, little rough around the edges to reasonably good actor, charismatic, but nobody famous, younger stars, uh, just going through a city and just beating the shit out of stuntmen with a lot of practical effects and a lot of neon and a lot of, you know, drive kind of influence, you know, and a kick-ass fucking soundtrack and just beating the shit out of people for 90 minutes to go, whether it's save Marion or whatever you want to do. There's a movie there, I think, or there was, you know, um, John Wick's kind of sucked up a lot of that oxygen and a lot of the other movies, um, have that have been trying to be John Wick, like the Atomic Blondes and whatnot, um, have have, are, have sucked up that oxygen. But I think you could have done it. Your window might have passed, but Double Dragon's one of them. Street Fighter, there should be a movie in there, but there isn't. So I don't really want to see another one. Mortal Kombat, they've already done it. Wing Commander, no, thank you. None of Kubrick's stuff should be remade. So none of this. Um, we don't need any more Predator movies. I don't want to see any of the Tom Hanks stuff get remade. No Muppet remakes, no Blumhouse remakes. They've already remade most of the Stephen King shit, and the ones that they haven't, they shouldn't. No Shrek remakes, no Cronenberg remakes. Sorry. I don't want Tomb Raider. I don't want House of the Dead. I don't want... Maybe you could argue Doom. Again, video game, because the bar is so low. Maybe, but I'm, I'm more committed to that Double Dragon series. We don't need Skyfall, Zero Dark Thirty, Looper, Holy Motors, Magic Mike. All the Romero stuff is in weird copyright land, so we've gotten some quote-unquote remakes. Friday the 13th, I, I don't want a remake, and I don't want a soft reboot, and I don't want a fucking TV series about young Jason and young Pamela. Um, I just want Friday the 13th, the 13th part. I want zombie Jason to kill a bunch of sexy 40-year-old teenagers in the fucking woods. If it's snow, it's snow. If you bring Tommy Jarvis back, don't give a shit. I want it in continuity. I want it made relatively lean and mean with spectacular gore and as a complete throwback to a, a genre of movie, the 80s slasher that we just don't have anymore. I don't want it to be a wink and a nod. I don't want it to be knowing or scream like. Fuck it. Just give me Friday the 13th, the 13th chapter. Um, <clears throat> Wolf of Wall Street, no. Focus, no. Legend of Tarzan, no. I, Tanya, no. None of those. None of the stuff from the 2000s. So I think the answer is Double Dragon. <laughs> this is from D.W. Lundberg. Out of all the movies you've watched this season, which ones would you say changed the most since your initial viewing? Which movie has done a complete 180 for you? I remember saying that I've done almost a complete 180 on one of these movies. And I don't remember which one. <laughs> so the answer is go back and listen to every episode I recorded for the season and um, find out what that answer is. And if it comes up on the unnamed trivia game at the Hollywood party, binge lords, you know, I'm not going to get that one right. Um, good question though. Uh, check out Lundenberg's podcast. He's on YouTube and all your favorite podcast places. It's called nostalgia cast. He asked another question. Love the journey you took with uh, Megan Kearns during your Margot Robbie episode. 
and how you discovered that the actress has a distinct aesthetic she likes to follow. Was there another journey you're proud of where you discovered an actor-director genre's unique perspective? Probably the other, first one I did with Megan, which is the, oh God, uh, Scar- Scarlett Johansson episode. You don't get a lot of retrospectives about female actors, actresses, female actors. Uh, you just don't. So um, the challenge of doing those episodes, um, going way back, before our before the initial hiatus about six seven years ago, they took for two sweet years. Pat and I uh, we moved into what was going to be the third season of the show, and we were going to alternate between actors and actresses. So we would do like a John Candy episode, and then we would do uh, uh, Emily Blunt, for instance, or so- something like that, you know. And then we would do you know uh, come back and we do you know a different actor Arnold Schwarzenegger, and then we'd do Scarlett Johansson or whoever. And the challenge that we found, Amy Adams was one we did. The challenge that we found was that they didn't have substantial enough roles. Like some of the most famous women on the planet, circa 2016, 2017, did not have enough. Amy Adams in particular did not have enough credits where she was the sole top billed lead actor of the film. That's not political. That's not me trying to have an agenda or anything like that. It's just simply scrolling their filmography and trying to pull out, you know, and it's fine. Like, okay, the first movie they're in or the first movie, they have a substantial role. They may not be the main character. That's part of the retrospective. We're seeing their, their, their humble beginnings. Right. But even in the middle of their career, even in the peak of their career, even in the contemporary era of their career, it was like, they're co-leads. They're part of an ensemble. You know, they're like, think about Margot Robbie in Babylon, right? And not to say she, you know, think about her in Focus. She was the lead in that movie. She a co-lead. She disappears for 25% of it. That happens all the time. So uh, probably the, the episodes that we've done on uh, actresses or, or, or uh, actors uh, fem- of the female persuasion because um, it's not one that at the very least I've absorbed a great deal of uh, mainstream thought about because I don't think the mainstream is thinking too heavily about those things. The complete opposite end of the equation, I am proud of the, it's a trilogy now, uh, so you know we're going to go for a quadrilogy and that's when we're going to shit the bed. I am very proud of the work that I've done with Paul with the Halloween series, the Nightmare series, and the Friday series. We've covered the three major horror franchises almost in their entirety. We've covered the bulk of the original continuities. Um, I know there's some other uh, Halloween shit we didn't cover, but we've covered the original runs, so to speak. And, um, and I'm really proud of those. And I know that a lot of people discovered the show through those episodes. So it's, you know, and have really, I've gotten a lot of high remarks for those. So that, that really uh, has been cool. Pete comes back with another question. Is it necessary to experience bad movies in order to appreciate the good ones? For those who try to only seek out the best of the best and avoid the Friday the 13th and video game movies of the world, are they missing out on an important part of the movie-going experience? And uh, a bunch of uh, uh, anonymous strangers, I assume they're followers of Pete, commented, and I disagree with all of them, 
uh, I think. Most of them are like, no, it's not necessary. Just watch really good movies, blah, 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 blah. I understand that sentiment. Um, but I think film, film is uh, a visual form of literature. And so if we're going to be media literate, or if we're going to have a high degree of literacy and fluency in a, a format, in a medium, um, then you have to be well-read. And in this case, you have to be, uh, I guess, well-watched. <laughs> uh, I think you, you have to have a diverse palette. You have to have a big palette. And it doesn't mean you just sit down with a mountain of crap and just watch crap constantly. But I do think you have to have a good balance and a good juxtaposition. Um, also, I think, you know, I don't think there's any such thing as like, I don't want to say there's no such thing, but I think sometimes, and, and this isn't an argument really anybody makes on the internet anymore, at least that I'm aware of, uh, which is like high art versus low art. I don't think people really like high low anymore. I mean, I'm sure somebody does like in the New Yorker or something, somebody will make the case. And I think that's some of the sentiment behind the backlash against the Marvel films. Um, just as it was the backlash against the Westerns, which is like, you know, this is, this is unsophisticated filmmaking and where's the real stakes and da, 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 da. And it's like, um, movies are like books and each book is meant to shape you and have, give you a different type of experience. If you go in expecting Catcher in the Rye out of Manhunter, you're going to be sorely disappointed or Red Dragon or the Canadian mounted, right? If you're reading the Canadian mounted, you're not expecting the grapes of wrath. And I don't think you should have those expectations with movies either. I think you should go into a movie accepting it's on, on its own terms and how well does it execute that? What it is state setting out to be, because if we just, if we separate everything is high, low, the only the best of the best, you would get rid of so much genre, so many genre films um, that now, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years later, make some of the best movie lists. So there's a lot of movies that in their contemporary period were not exceptionally well-received, were met with lukewarm reviews that are now considered definitive classics. So just skip the part where you're wrong for 30, 40 years and accept all movies, right? So um, I, I, I think you have to be well-studied. I think you have to be well-read. Now, have to be. Who has to be? Why do you want to be? But I think if you're an enthusiast of film and you're not willing to embrace genre work, you're not willing to embrace exploitation work, you're not willing to embrace kind of low-grade sometimes work, or regional filmmaking, or midnight movies, or grindhouse movies, or drive-in movies. I think you're missing out. Uh, I think you're really missing out. So, uh, but then again, so, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss. You've got mail. This is Nerdgervert, one of the key supporters of the show, one of our patron elite, one of our most active commenters, show sharers, show supporters. Nothing but great things to say, and he doesn't just do it for binge movies. But this guy does it. Uh, he's a fellow Jason. This guy does it for like about 15,000 other independent movie podcasts. Okay. What was the most challenging overall group of movies to get through in season six? Over, uh, let's start with that one. Okay. We'll start with that question. I think it's got to be the video game stuff. And I can't tell if it's the 90s 
or the 2000s. It might be the 2000s. Because the 90s had a certain camp quality to them. And I really didn't like Tomb Raider. And I really didn't like House of the Dead. And I really didn't like Doom. And I really didn't like Max Payne. So that's probably video game movies of the 2000s. That's probably the roughest. That fucking sucked. Uh, overall, what's been your favorite first time watch that wasn't released this year? Ooh, my, oh, Jesus. Probably Demon Wind or The Suspicious Death of a Minor, which is a Sergio Martino, Martino, Sergio. Yeah, Sergio Martino. I've got too many Italian filmmakers in my head. Sergio Martino's The, Sus- the Suspicious Death of a Minor. I've talked about it a little bit on Instagram via the power of reels. It is, as I record this, available for free on Tubi. It's a bit long. It's a bit strange. It's a bit genre bendy. But if you can kind of catch the vibe um, and contextualize it a little bit and accept that it's an European Italian giallo, then I think you might dig it. If you don't like Italian cinema and you don't like giallos, that's probably not the one for you. If you like movies that are so good, they're bad. Demon Wind is the way to go. Uh, if you like Italian cinema, or you're looking to explore giallos, which are basically just crime films. Um, then The Suspicious Death of a Minor is probably for you. Um, hmm. Man, now I got to go through my letterbox. I've watched too many movies, Nerdrovert. Um, I wouldn't say it's one of my favorites, but a movie that was kind of kind of a surprise for me is uh, Brain Damage, 1988's Brain Damage by Frank Henenlotter, the lauded director of such films as Frankenhooker and Basket Case. Um, I don't like Frank Henenlotter. I don't like him as a director. I don't think I like him as a person. But Brain Damage is almost a good movie. Like, it's almost actually a good movie. Almost. Now, it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea, but... For as as far as Frank Henenlotter goes, it's as close as he ever got. I watched, I I did A Fistful of Dollars, and I'd seen The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, but I did A Fistful of Dollars, basically did the Dollars trilogy, and I also did High Plains Drifter. Any of those would also make the list. Um, I've seen them in bits and pieces. My dad was a huge Clint Eastwood fan, as most men of his age were, but blah. Uh, I just probably rejected them. On that basis, a boldest prediction prediction or take for 2023 movies. I think my boldest prediction is that Mar the Super Mario Brothers movie. I know Chris Pratt's getting a lot of hate. I think he's probably going to be fine, maybe even good. But I think the movie is going to be like really solid. I think I don't think it's going to like break new ground, but I think there's a high probability that's going to be one of the most like. I I I I I think that there's going to be people are going to be surprised at how much they end up liking that movie because I think people are kind of already going in with like planning on hating it or expectations are real low and understandably so but I think it's going to like I think there's a real chance it might be actually really good. Now will mainstream film critics accept it as anything else because they have this like weird bias because it's made off of something that's already existed but the moment you look at that trailer and the moment you see that particular animation, which by the way, coming from illumination is this is next level animation for them. I mean, it's some remarkable work, especially from that studio. And if it's remotely clever and witty and thoughtfully written and not just references, 
But I, trust me, I want the references. He's in the whatever, the Tuki suit or whatever. I want him in the suit, right? I want I want fucking Raccoon Mario. I want Super Mario Brothers 3. I want Yoshi. I want the whole nine yards. You know, I want primetime Mario. Have fucking Wario show up in a cameo. Uh, but he's If there is a Wario, you know he's the after credits. I want fucking Wart in this movie. Um, anyway, um, I think that there's really, when you see it, when you, when you, I was like, what took so long? Like, why was this so hard? Because it just felt right. And of all the trailers that I've seen for the films that are coming out in 2023, which again has been mostly the big stuff, that's the one where I was like, that just feels right. It just feels right. And so my gut tells me, I think it's going to be like pretty dope. I'm nervous about everything else. I think I'm more than having bold predictions. I think I'm really nervous. Like, because we had so many delays going into tw- from 2022 from all the way back to 2020, we kind of knew we were going to get a bunch of good stuff. We got real spoiled in 2021. Like, I think we're going to look back at this six to nine month period that maybe crosses over into the beginning of, of 2022 as a real sweet spot for genre movies. I've tweeted about this off and on. I think we're really going to look back on this and go, as far as franchise, IP, stuff, we've been really fortunate. Maybe Marvel Phase 4 hasn't been everybody's cup of tea. I'm excluding that from the conversation. I'm just thinking about stuff like Afterlife, Maverick, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's been some good to great stuff in in a lane where we normally get a lot of shit. I'm looking at 2023 and it's like, I'm nervous because we're going to have a follow-up to, you know, we're going to have across the spider verse, which the bar has been set so high because the bar was set so low and it was such a fresh take that like the longer the it lingers, the more revered the first one gets, the harder it's going to be for the follow-up to satisfy. It's just, it's really, it has the, all the cards stacked against it in our psyches, regardless of its quality. Um, Dead Reckoning, you know, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. I think it looks sweet. Does he do it again? Does he do it two summers in a row? I'm not sure, right? If anybody can, I tell him, it's it's Cruz. So maybe. I'm not as nervous about that one because those are really consistent films. Indiana Jones, I, I, I don't know. I don't, it's like, I think they're going to do some wacky shit. And I just, I'm already fucking dreading the discourse about that. Cray 3, fuck. I think the premise is really clever. I think who they have, you know, Jonathan Major stepping in to not be Clubber Lang, but to basically kind of be Clubber Lang in a sense. Have them be like, hey, we grew up together, like in the, like, and I, you have the life I should have, I think is an extremely interesting, fresh story to tell. And I know that the actors can tell that story. I'm, and I'm more excited that Kugler is on board with the script. I'm not so certain about other stuff. I, I just, I'm not so certain about that movie. To close that one out, I think my boldest predictions is I think that film Twitter or the internet is going to it already has memed Megan and Cocaine Bear to death that when they come out and are like two and a half star, three star movies, we're all going to be fucking disappointed. 
I think we like, I think people are so desperate to grab, to like make a malignant that neither one of these movies is going to be a malignant. They're actually going to be probably pretty like dopey to mediocre to like kind of shitty. And you can't make a cult movie. It just has to happen. And I, it's like, we're, tr- we're trying too hard to, to make these the next thing that we're all <laughs> going to meme. And like, it's just, you see the cycle. You're online enough. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, favorite Japanese deathmatch wrestler. I have a cheat for this. It's probably like Onita, but it's really Terry Funk. I like everything that Terry Funk did in Japan more than anything he ever did in the U.S. And obviously, I didn't see him in his prime days as you know part of the the old territory. You know, uh, you know that, that his dad Dory Senior ran. So I don't know. Um, there's a different era than mine. I've seen some of the old school stuff, but it wasn't like contemporaneous to me. And like kind of that, like Southwest wrestling is probably a blind spot for me. Like obviously I know the Van Von Erics and Houston and that kind of stuff. But, um, I feel like I'm just vaguely more familiar with the East coast stuff, just being closer to it. So, uh, I think it's funk. I think just watching all of his stuff over there. And then obviously the King of the death match tournament and all that and the explosives and, him doing the flaming branding iron in Japan, but before he did the States, I believe that could be wrong about that. Again, he might've done it in Texas. Um, I don't know. I just, he probably didn't really think about it. Um, I, I just, I like the stuff he do, you know, forever. It's like legendary shit. What was the last movie you watched where after the credits rolled and you just had to sit there and stare into space to digest for a while? This is from bring your own popcorn from the bring your own popcorn pod. It's a really, 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 really great question. Jaws 3D release, not Jaws 3D, but they re-released Jaws over the summer and put it into 3D, uh, which sounds like a horrible fucking gimmick. Horrible gimmick, but it was quite the delight. Jaws, like I've seen that a billion times, it seems like. Yet, seeing it in the theater, it's like a different experience. And again, like I'm just hitting all of these like genre notes where normally I would throw out like some great piece of history, you know, some great like, oh, so here's some art house film or here's some this or here's some that. Um, I don't have that this year. Um, I don't know. I don't know if the offerings have just been weaker. I don't know if many of them haven't made it my way yet. I, I just don't know. I don't know if I've just been too bogged down uh, and watching a bunch of other stuff. I don't know. Um, but normally I would pick something, you know, whether it be Pig or The Sound of uh, Metal or, you know, something like that that's a little bit of a smaller film or like Parasite. Um, I really want to see Decision to Leave and Bones for uh, Bones and All and a couple other films. So maybe it would be one of those, but I just haven't gotten a chance to see them yet. Uh, I got a lot more questions than that, but we are almost already at an hour. And so uh, I think that's enough. (laughs) I think that's enough for now. Can I just tell you that I really appreciate uh, all of you who have subscribed to the show. If you haven't, go ahead and do so. But Everyone who's subscribed, everyone who listens, everyone who supports every week, every other podcaster, film critic, filmmaker, 
who's appeared on this show this year in any capacity whatsoever. We've done interviews. We've done um, so many ranking episodes, so many bonus features. We've done a, you know, this year was the first year for the Patreon, so we've launched new Patreon content. So people are putting in extra work uh, on top of the crazy amount of work that they do to help binge these movies. To every listener who's participated in the Binge Movies Challenge, I cannot tell you how much I sincerely appreciate each and every one of you Going to have some more instant reactions and bonus content to round out 2022. And before you know it, it'll be season 7.1. We go full mode seven. New guests, fresh faces, fresh voices. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it. So uh, without, without much further ado, I'm looking at my watch. And I'm, I'm thinking it's about that time. Until next time, binge on. Forever! Forever!